This is episode number 152 of the Rising Man podcast with John Vroman. The family man who forgets to take care of himself will be the reason he loses them someday. Welcome back, Rising Man family. I'm so grateful you decided to join us here today. I am Jetty Azuma, the host and creator of this show. And I'm grateful, so grateful to have this Rising Man community, this Rising Man movement. For whoever is listening out there, I want to thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for choosing to tune in, to share, to participate in all the different ways that you do. It's amazing what we've been able to do. This is like our three years, three years since the idea of the Rising Man was born in my head. And here we are, thousands of men all over the world right now listening in. So thanks for being a part of that. And I want to make sure that I invite you guys to become a bigger part of our community. If you haven't heard already, I've launched a 12-week online course for men to give you a very simple and effective strategy to get your life turned around in whatever that looks like for you. This is for men at every stage of the journey. It's just a really tight package of wisdom, distinctions, and exercises, really the best of the best of what I've experienced in my last 10 years of working in this field. So Ignite is launching officially on December 15th. I had an early bird discount code and I just want to be generous. I want to give everybody an opportunity to get into this program. It's really affordable. So I made another code for you guys who want to be the pioneers and the first ones to step in. The code is trailblazer2020 all caps trailblazer and we'll put that in the show notes link it up there for you just go to risingman.org slash ignite and get yourself registered today be a part of that first cohort to go through this experience and let's get it let's get it it's 2021 coming up what better way to start off your year all right so let me introduce my guest for today john vroman is a husband and father who also happens to be the founder of frontrowdads.com and host of the front row dad podcast his mission is to help high-performing entrepreneurial men be family men with businesses not businessmen with families in addition to his business and family john founded frontrowfoundation.org in 2005 a charity that creates unforgettable moments for individuals who are braving life-threatening illnesses 10 years later, he published The Front Row Factor to share everything you can learn about living life from those fighting for it. It's amazing, amazing stuff. In this episode, John and I dropped into the reality of fatherhood. We talked about the raw, rugged, and real side of being a dad in the world. What challenges are we all facing and how can we navigate our way out of them? John and I spoke about the stories we had about our fathers and how we came to respect our dads way more once we became fathers ourselves. We spoke about integrity and the simple lessons we get from our parents that stick for a lifetime. We talked about exploding on our kids, how it's never about what they're doing in that moment, rather what we as dads are not doing to prepare for those moments and take care of ourselves first. Lastly, we both admitted to hiding from our families by getting immersed in our businesses. We talked about why we do this, why other men do this, and whether we want to be businessmen with families or family men with businesses. This and so much more, without further ado, John Vroman. All right, Rising Man fam, got another man joining me here today, live from Austin, Texas, John Vroman. 
How you doing, bro? Good. Ready to dig in. Yeah. Likewise, man. Uh, I get, you got your front row dad's hat on. I, I love the work that you're doing with your organization and all the different layers of what you've got going on the, the front row dad's podcast. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's awesome stuff that you're doing. I know before we started recording, I mentioned to you, I, I wish I got a more honest glimpse of what fatherhood looked like before I jumped into it. What did you think fatherhood was going to be like before you actually became a dad? Well, Oh, I could answer that a thousand different ways, but I'll tell you a funny story. You know, when I was prior to kids, I got into the Tony Robbins world, personal growth. I was reading relentlessly and just growing what I felt personally to be a very rapid rate for myself. And I thought, when I become a dad, man, I'm going to be the best dad. You know, I'm going to read every book on parenting. I'm going to read hundreds of books on parenting. Like, it's you know, right? it was like, I'm going to attack this like everything else in my life. And then it was like I blinked and my kid was six. And I remember thinking, I've read two books on parenting, right? And all these amazing plans of being a perfect dad or a perfect husband and living the perfect life were replaced with what were very real, very challenging, but very rewarding experiences that have really forged a new John Vroman. You know, here I am, my oldest is 11. So. Yeah, man, I can totally relate to that. I remember the the first and probably best piece of advice I got about parenthood was, I think my wife was probably six months pregnant and I was a physical therapist at the time and I was working with a client and he had three boys. I think they were probably aged nine to 13. And he's like, I'm going to give you the only piece of advice about parenting you need to know right now. It's like, okay, good, man. Hand it to me. I'm ready. And he goes, you're not going to be the world's first perfect parent. And I, and I remember it just hit me like a ton of bricks because that was one of my that was one of my core wounds was about trying to do everything perfectly, trying to pitch a perfect game. And I was like, okay. And then I haven't really shared this story, I don't think, on the podcast before, but my son is born. And you know how that is, right? You're first born. It's like a 180 shift, full transformation on a cellular level. All of a sudden, I'll do anything for this little human. And my wife had been through 40 hours of labor. And so she was passed out and I'm holding this baby. I'm like, there's no, I can't put him down. I can't put him in that little plastic garbage can that they tell me is a bed for him. I'm just going to hold him until she wakes up. So I'm like five hours into this holding him, and I start, you know, drifting. It's the middle of the night. And I remember I sat down on the bed and I leaned back. And the next thing I know, I wake up and my hands are empty. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where'd the baby go? I wake wake up, I'm in a panic and I look and he's on the floor. He's like 12 hours old and I drop the baby on the floor and I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. He's crying. My wife is, you know, she wakes up like, what's going on? What's going on? He was fine because babies are resilient, but it was so funny because I immediately thought of that piece of advice. You're not going to be the world's first perfect parent. And there it was right there. I dropped my kid. He wasn't even a day old. <laughs> I had to just look over. I can tell you, I can tell you a dozen stories like that as a dad where I'm attentive and I'm engaged and I want to do everything right and I mess something up. I've got one of those stories, which I've got to share this with you just because I want to be like in your corner, right? So my son is, let's say, uh, you know, a year and a half maybe at this point, and he pulls the dishwashing rack out from the dishwasher. Okay. And it's, you know, the bottom part with the wheels on it. And he, he just grabs it and he pulls it out. And I'm like, Oh, that's cute. Like he's kind of walking around the kitchen. Looks like a shopping cart, right? He's got his hands on the edges and he's just walking around. And I even get my phone to videotape how cute this is of just him pushing this around. Dude, I don't see what's coming next, which was when he hits 
a stationary object with this. He's so unstable on his feet that his face just falls forward onto the metal pieces of the rack that just like the little daggers that stick up and his face hits it. And he's not, again, he can't control his body enough. So his face just hits it without his hands protecting him or anything. And you know, immediately I run over, I pick him up and I'm just imagining that I see holes in his eyes and all this stuff. And sure enough, like he won't open his left eye. He's screaming and he won't open his left eye. He's bleeding from the nose. He's bleeding from his mouth. And I'm like, I have permanently, like he's has no eye. I, I'm going to open it. I'm going to see a hole in his eye. Like he poked himself with this thing. Well, dude, I don't know how we narrowly escaped this, but he poked himself in the nose and it was bleeding. He poked himself in the gum and it was bleeding, but his eye was totally fine. But it was one of those moments when I thought I was being an amazing dad. And then, you know, something happens. And I, I do have hear stories like that all the time. I mean, mistakes happen. Things happen as conscious as you could possibly be. And, and it's not an excuse to not be engaged in oh, shit's going to happen anyway. It's like, no, be engaged and conscious. But dude, even today I'm in the kitchen. It was just bad timing. My wife turned on the garbage disposal and my hand was in the garbage disposal when she turned it on. And it was so close, Jetty, that the blade hit the tip of my finger. It didn't even cut it. It spun and hit the tip of my finger. And not only that, but last week we had a whole talk about this as a family because my son, who's 11, put his hand in there and somebody had turned it on. And like he had narrowly escaped. It was like a traumatic thing in our home. And he realized as conscious as we believe we are at this point, I'm a 45-year-old man who works hard on himself. I meditate, I run, <laughs> I read, I'm learning, I'm growing. I'm, I got checklists out the ass. And dude, I'm so still failing and our family is still failing and we're making mistakes. So dude, you're so spot on. Oh man. Well, I love that message. And I think the secondary moral of the story is exercise extreme caution in the Roman kitchen. Whenever you're yeah, hanging Don't come to my kitchen unless you're wearing metal gloves, you know, like, but then I taped a piece. I mean, think resiliency in all areas of life, whether business or family, it's like I taped a piece of paper over the garbage disposal button now, right? I taped it over it. So you have to lift it up to flip it, to flip the switch. And it just says check for hands. You know, that's yeah. it. it just says check for hands. So you can't just go turn it on without at seeing that and taking another step. Oh man. And that's such a good metaphor for what it means to be a father. I mean, really a man in general, but since we're talking about being a dad today, I mean, that idea of being the perfect father, where do you think that comes from? Why do so many of us step into parenthood with that intention of being the best dad? Oh, that's a great question, brother. My heart tells me that the answer to that is one, we don't know what to expect and that maybe the things that we think we need to do, we can see perfection in them. Like, can I feed this person? Yes. Can I love this person? Yes. So I could probably be a perfect dad. And maybe what we do is we change our expectations of what perfection really is. Now you could believe, by the way, define, here's an important piece. And this is my word of the year, by the way, is definition is how do you define perfection? Because some people define perfection as everything as it turns out as you or the world says it should. And other people define perfection as it is perfect because that's the way it is. So you could argue that your father experience has been perfect because it couldn't have been any other way. It unfolded exactly as it should. And therefore it's perfect. 
You know, see, I subscribe to that because that's what's going to happen anyway. There's just I've yet to meet anybody who's even remotely close to being a perfect dad, especially when you peel back the layers. There's so much that we're not talking about because, I mean, God, I mean, the, the amount of times that I've caught my son running around with sharp objects that only could be my fault. <laughs> I'm like, OK, we can't talk about everything. But exactly. I think it also, at least for me and I think a lot of guys, it comes down to the experience I had of being a son to a father. And the relationship we had with our own dad. I know there's so many guys out there when they talk about becoming a father, one of the first things they say is, I'm going to be the father that my dad wasn't. I'm going to be everything that my dad wasn't for me. And so do you find that there's something in that core wound, especially since you've talked about this with so many guys? Dude, so much of it is our childhood and our experiences and conscious and unconscious, right? It's all there, man. It, uh, so much of our personality and uh, our identity is all shaped in that space. And you don't, no question that the fathers and father figures that we've had in our lives are either examples or warnings, right? It's the, how else could things have turned out with a father like that philosophy, right? And it's often just how we take these experiences and what meaning we give to them. What stories are we telling ourselves? I mean, this is all, we're all storytellers to ourselves and to the world. And there's no doubt that I told myself a story a long time ago, Jetty, that my dad was disengaged. I told myself that my dad wanted to clean the garage more than play ball with me. He was a military captain who worked very, very hard, who loved his family. And yet I still blamed him a lot for how he didn't show up, you know? And now it's a weekend. I'm 45 years old, two boys, 11 and six. And I'm out in the garage and I'm like, this garage is out of control. Like I can't find anything. I can't even function in my life. And I'm cleaning the garage and Tiger's like, come skateboard with me. And I'm like, dude, I got to clean the garage. And I'm like, holy shit. Like I am my dad in some ways. Right. So part of it is I think our childhood shapes us. I think that we then evolve and maybe understand our childhood. Like, you know, that saying, I don't know who to credit for this, but it's like, it's never too late to have a happy childhood, right? Because you can always go back and to retell the story or reshape the story in any way that you want. I mean, part of emotional intelligence is reframing, right? Things as we want them to be. And there's also part of it that we brush things under the carpet and say, that never bothered me or that's not a big deal when really it was and it should bother you. And it was a big deal. But yet our coping mechanism is to brush it under the rug or put it in the closet and forget about it. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important that once we become adults and we've lived enough of life and our brains have developed enough to be more critical and objective about things, that we really take a good look at those stories we created when we were kids. You know, because I had the same story about my dad. You know, case in point, I had an old story that my dad was never present enough because all my friends' dads were the coaches on the baseball team and the football team. And my dad, you know, I remember one year I bothered him so much and I was really giving him heat saying, Fred and Rob. Bob's dads, they're the head coaches of the team. And I'm lucky if you make it to the games. And I remember that one year he made a commitment that he was going to be an assistant coach, right? He couldn't be a head coach. Just his job didn't allow it. He made it so that he could show up and be an assistant coach. And I still have the picture of our, like, you know, they, they line you up for your team photos and he's there and he's wearing like the team polo and he's wearing work slacks and his wingtips. When I was a kid, to me, that wasn't good enough. I was like, nah, but you're not mm. the head coach. You're not being like mm. Rob's dad, who's there for every team. But then right. when I became a dad, and I think that's when it really shifts, I looked at that and I said, oh my God, everything my dad was doing, you know, my mom going through cancer when I was nine years old, raising my older brother who my mom had with a, in and from another marriage and just working so my mom never had to work and he still showed up to be an assistant coach on the team. 
I was like, damn, dad, you were killing it. And I, had, I didn't give you enough credit back then. <laughs> yeah, I think that's life though, right? Like our ability to empathize with somebody else, our ability to relate to somebody else. And I think that's so important in the world right now is to remember that, you know, to hold space for that. Even if we haven't become a father yet to recognize that there's, it's almost like to assume the good in someone. There's a part of that. But I also think it's all normal. It's all natural. Like your feelings, my feelings, that was just part of childhood. When I was in a landmark forum class many years ago, the landmark forum teacher said, here's the parenting advice everybody needs to know. You are going to fuck up your kids. (laughs) (laughs) It is a hundred percent guaranteed that because here's the thing, right? If you are, I'm going to be tough on them. Your kids are going to be like, my dad was way too tough on me. If you're like, I'm not going to be that tough ass dad. I'm going to be like a friend. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to let him do his own thing. That kid's going to grow up and be like, my dad wasn't tough enough on me. He gave me too much freedom. Like he goes, no matter what you do, there is going to be a wound. There is going to be a problem, right? You're either overly engaged or not engaged enough, whatever it is. Not Again, not an excuse to not show up and put your best foot forward. Something to understand though, is that there are going to be feelings that get hurt. And that's why things like values, like love and forgiveness, acceptance and empathy, all of those are going to be very, very important for us to demonstrate. And that's the thing that really pierced through all of the moments of pain that I experienced as a son relative to my dad growing up. What really pierced through were the the core values that my dad was weaving into his actions and the words that he said, the things, the few things that my dad told me that I'll never forget that I now teach my son. The biggest one, because my dad's a jokester. He's such a prankster, man. Like he grew up with four brothers and he was the third and he just busted their balls, man. He made their life hell. And he was, he continued to be that man in his whole life. And so one of the things he always tells me is make sure you keep surrounding your people with as yourself with people who give you a good belly laugh. He's like, you got to have people around you who are going to you know, keep it light. And I didn't really know what that meant. I was like, okay, dad, yeah, belly laughs, got it, check. But once you become a dad, once you become a husband, once you're providing for a family, I got it. I was like, if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to really be hurting and not fully enjoying life. That's probably the biggest piece. You know, I think of my dad, that was the one thing that really shines through. It's mm, cool, man. Yeah. Sometimes we think of values uh, and we only think of like grit or something like that, you know, but the value of laughter and fun and joy, Mm. that's killer. Which one did you get from your dad? The one that stands out the most? Mine, what comes to mind right away is integrity. My dad was such a man of integrity. I remember being about my oldest son's age, maybe 11 or 12. And I had a, a snake, a pet snake, like a garter snake or something, you know, like 12 bucks from the pet store, like a foot long. And it got sick. It had a problem that needed to go to the vet, which sounds weird because some people might be like, ah, it's just a snake. And, but you know, my dad, it's like, you know, this is a creature that we are caring for. So we're going to take it to the vet. And I remember being at the vet. I, re- I remember this, like it was yesterday and they posed, they were like, we can help the snake, but it's going to be $75 to fix the snake. And you face this dilemma of, I could buy six or seven snakes for $75. Like, and maybe it just, Hey buddy, let's just let it run its course. But my dad was like, no, let's take care of the snake. So he paid 75 bucks to fix the snake. And I'll never forget that. I mean, I was very young, but he's a man of great integrity. Like when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I will follow through. My word means a lot. And when I tell you I'm going to take care of something, when we are, when we're responsible for a creature, when we're responsible for whatever, we are going to take care of that. 
you know, my, I remember my dad saying to me many times, it's not how much you own, it's how much you take care of what you own. Yeah. I love that, man. I'd love to spend some time with your dad. He's my kind of guy. He's a good dude. He's a really good dude. I love that in that moment where if I put myself in your dad's frame of mind and in his shoes, he's probably not thinking to himself, this is going to be the moment where my son really understands integrity. He's just like, all right, this is what we do. (laughs) This is another one of those moments to be that example. Yeah. I've had moments like that where I've shared with him, Jetty, that I was like, this was really meaningful for me. And he's like, I don't even remember that. Right. And the things he thinks were my greatest wounds were not. Like what? Well, like he worked a lot. He's still, I mean, dude, the other day he sends me a text message. (laughs) Like I want to read you exactly what it says because it's like, he's 75 years old, right? We have a good relationship. He sent me this message and it was something like, you know, you've turned out to be an amazing man and an amazing father and something blah, blah, blah about your absentee father, right? Your father who wasn't there for you. And he said that to me a hundred times. And I keep reminding him, I go, dude, I know that you have a lot of pain around that. And you've apologized a hundred times for not being there more for me when I was a kid, but I want to let you know, that's not something I hold on to, or, you know, I don't have any hate in my heart for you about all that. Like he was working hard. He's, you know, grew up in this era, like, and he tells me, he's like, I grew up in an era where I needed to work hard and provide for my family. So he left the house at six 30 in the morning. He came home, you know, after work, he would hit the gym and then he would come home. He'd sit down at the table. He would eat, he would go read the paper and he would go to bed. But we also did amazing things. You know, we went on incredible trips together and he took me to this lake that he grew up on as a kid. So there were things that were very tradition based. There were things that you know, there were things that I could have only learned from him and I'm so grateful for, but he thinks that's the biggest wound. I don't know that that's the biggest wound, right? I don't think that's the biggest wound. It's weird. Some of the wounds that stand out to me are ones that I'm like, that's not even a big deal now. Like I'll give you an example. I was out back, my dad's mowing the lawn and I picked up the funnel that he used to put the gas in the lawnmower. And I used it as a megaphone. And I was like, Hey dad. And I remember him freaking out on me, mostly because he was scared that I'm putting a funnel that has gasoline in my mouth as a child, right? (laughs) But he was freaking out on the fact that I was probably getting hurt. And I was freaked out by the fact that he yelled at me and I felt like an idiot, right? So like that showed up for me or the time that he came home and it was a long day at work, I'm sure. I'm sure an easy job being in the military, you know, but he came home and I was hiding underneath of his desk and I jumped out to surprise him. And he just yelled at me and, you know, for surprising him. What's interesting is I get angry when people surprise me. And I don't know if it has to do with that moment. Like that's what I learned about that. But I also understand what it's like when you're stressed out and you feel like you're about to explode and somebody's like, and you're like, it's just that energy that does not help me. Right. (laughs) Oh man. It makes me, it makes me think of my relationship with my son because I've had moments like that where he just, it's not his fault at all, man. He just catches me at the wrong moment. He does something that ordinarily would be really funny, like comes up and like, you know, sticks his hand right in my ass crack or something like, just like, just like being (laughs) playful, you know? And I just like, let him have it. Like, what are you doing? doing and he's just like i was just trying to play with you exactly you know and i'm like ah oh, man i mean those are the moments that really hurt as a dad because i realized that i'm so caught up in other stuff and I, I missed an opportunity but it's also the places where i gotta remember like yeah but i'm human and I, like we're, we're all human and that's totally. the i think that's the message that i would want all dads to really hear and embrace is that you're going to have those moments. I don't think there's any man out there who doesn't have that moment where he goes farther than he wanted to on his kid or on his wife. Like it's part of the human experience. It's how we recover from that. 
and that, that we don't let that become the standard for how we show up, that there's a corrective course of action so that we can restore trust and restore faith. And you know what I find is so important for me, my own experience with this jetty is that it wasn't even about that moment, as we both know, it was like when your kid somehow pokes you in a way that makes you explode, that it's really about all the other parts of our life that led us to be so fragile in that moment that we have an open wound somehow and somebody came up and put a feather, right? Or just touched with the tip of a pencil in an open wound on your arm. That So then I had to explore the wound. I had to explore where was I being exposed. And what I realized from my own life was I was pushing so hard in so many other areas that I was just exhausted when that moment would happen, when where they would poke. And so I just knew that I needed to create more space in my life. I needed more silence. I needed more breath. I needed more peace. I needed more. And what that looks like for me now specifically is going to the sauna you know, and getting in the sauna for a bit. It looks like taking long runs through the trails. It looks like meditation. It looks like a schedule where I literally don't start anything before 10 a.m. I have a hour blocked. I mean, I could screen share and show you my calendar right now. It's like 12 to one. It says family and freedom, 12 to one, nothing and nothing after 4 PM and nothing on Monday and nothing on Friday. So I have nothing on my schedule on Monday. I have nothing on my schedule on Friday. And by doing all that, and I started a charity back in 2005 called Front Row Foundation. And I love the charity. It's my heart. I poured into it for 15 years. But this year I hired an executive director to run that charity, which is a little bit of like a, oh, I'm letting go of something that was a baby of mine that I love that I ran for 15 years. And but I realized that I was being a moment maker for other people in my life and I wasn't being a moment maker for my family. This is a charity like Make-A-Wish. We put people in the front row of their favorite event, people that have a life-threatening illness. And I was doing all these incredible things for other people and yet I was struggling to do them for my own family. And a lot of that was ego. A lot of that was identity that I was holding on to. but I let go of that. And all of a sudden, like I now have more equanimity when I'm with my family. I'm still not perfect. <laughs> but I'm not blowing up as much. I'm not losing it as much. I'm much more grounded, much more centered. I used to say it was my wife. If she would just change, I wouldn't get so triggered. If my kids would just listen, I wouldn't get so triggered. But like we both know, man, all the work is with ourselves. We are the source. We are the source. Yeah. And I call that being solution-based, you know, because if I'm looking at other people as being the solution or what needs to change, then I'm just contributing to the problem. And I really want to get more wisdom from you on this piece because you said you're 45? Yeah. 45. I think your oldest is 11? Yeah. Okay. And you've been married for how long? Married for 12 with her for 13. With her for 13. Okay. So it sounds like that at least this latest shift happened a year ago when you handed over the, the charity to the executive director. Was there another moment where that shift started to happen, where you had that insight that I've got to turn this back inward and not make it so much about the song and dance that's going out? Mm. Yeah, there's many moments, dude. This is like a continual cascade of moments in my life that are that are constantly helping me to learn. And let me clarify the question. Do you mean, are there specific moments where I realized that it was about me and nobody else? No, it's actually more of what you were just talking about. What you were just describing where you said, I needed to create more spaciousness so that I could show up the way I wanted to. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of those moments that were, when you talk about like calendar, like literally how I'm designing my life, life design. 
So four years ago, I'm a keynote speaker. I'm traveling 150 days a year. I'm giving 50 paid keynote speeches a year. And I worked hard to get to that place, right? And I felt like I was living the dream life, right? Getting paid, you know, I mean, my, I started out getting paid $2,000 for a speech, people foreclosing on my house, no money in the bank, like, you know, a hundred grand in credit card debt. This is 2008 when I get married and Tatiana gets pregnant on our honeymoon. And like, this is just a crazy year or two, right? Trying to become an entrepreneur. I left a high paid corporate executive job to go do this, right? And I worked really hard, but then I got to this place where I was making great money, but I wasn't being a great dad, right? And one of the things I realized was that I got conditioned to I'd said to my wife many, many times, like my best hours are between six in the morning and 11 a.m. So I need to really pour into the business. I used to wake up and like walk out the door before the kids would even get up because I didn't want to get caught by them. I didn't want to see them to go to a coffee shop and I would sit and I would read and I would write and I would learn and I would create and I would build my business because I'm the provider and that's what I should do, right? Well, all this is happening. I could give you a hundred other examples about things that I'm doing like that, but the moral of the story is that my work was getting the best of me and my family was getting the rest of me. And that's what was happening, right? And this is that moment when I realized I have a six-year-old, I've got, you know, I've read all these books on leadership, but no books on parenting. There was a moment when I'm at a party and somebody was asking me what I did. And I knew what they were saying is, what do I do professionally? I knew that's what they were asking. And I started to answer that way about the charity and the speaking and all that. But I cut myself off and I said, you know what? I said, I'm actually a, a father and a husband. And then when I'm not doing that, I got a couple of the things that I do with like speaking and charity work. And the person looked back at me and said, wow, that's one of the coolest answers I've ever gotten. And I said, you know what? It felt really good to me too. But the honest part of that is that's what I want it to be, but it's not that right now. That's what I want. But the truth is that my business is my priority. And I can show you because I can, you can look at my calendar and you can look at my desktop on my computer and there's folders for everything with my business. There's no folder for family values or family vision or family plan or any of that. It was like, I would spend two hours figuring out what our next staff meeting was going to be. And yet when I have my family around the kitchen table, which arguably is kind of like a staff meeting, right? You go, the whole thing is, how are your pancakes? <laughs> Like there has to be more, right? This was flip-flopped. And that's where the idea of family man with a business, not businessman with a family came from. Are you a family man with a business or a businessman with a family? And I wanted to be a family man with a business. And I realized from my friend, Jay Papazan, who wrote a book called The One Thing, that when he does calendar planning, he puts the family vacation on the calendar first. I learned from my buddy, Tim Nikolaev, who built a big business in real estate and then retired when he was like 27. He has four kids fifth on the way. And he would tell me that he goes, you can build a business and then figure out how to fit your family into it. Or you can figure out what you want your life to look like and build a business around that. And I think that all these things were just shifts that I needed to make. And they've all happened gradually. They didn't happen overnight. They didn't happen in a week. They happened over time. Like even letting go of Monday or Friday and like not schedule. I used to schedule things out of scarcity because I'm like, well, if I don't meet with that person now, then maybe I'll never meet with them. Right. And, and I would constantly bend to other people's schedules. And now I just realize if they can't make it in this time, that it's probably not meant to be. I stick to my guns and a lot of these boundaries that I've created in my life. But all that came down to understanding what do you stand for? What do you care about? What are your core values? And I never really knew that. And all the biggest shifts that I've experienced, Jetty, even this year, even with my wife, have come down from knowing what I want, 
And then how I'm going to go after that, right? Like, what do I genuinely want? I never knew, man, I never really knew. I never knew what I wanted or needed from my wife. And therefore, how could she give it to me if I can't articulate that? So honesty, truthfulness, transparency. My buddy David says transparency leads to transformation. And that has been so true for me this year. As much as I think I was being honest or truthful or authentic in the past, I look back and I'm like, dude, I was just a big faker because I understand why, because of our ego, right? Our ego. I want to share this with you because I think it's one of the best things I learned this year. Can I tell you one more thing at the risk of like ranting for too long? No, you're on fire, man. Do it. Can I do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, All right. Yeah. I know I'm talking. I know it. I'm aware of that. But I got to tell you this. You guys are going to love this. Anybody out there listening, this has been profound. All credit goes to Dr. Kelly Flanagan, who wrote a book called Lovable, and he's a member in our community. And here's what he says. He's a psychologist. And Dr. Kelly Flanagan says, we all build an ego castle in our lives. And when you're in elementary school, you realize that you need to build some castle walls. Castle walls are to protect you from other people hurting you. And it's meant to project something. So if ego is defined as you know your false self, right, a projection so that you can appear a certain way to the world. I learned this about name brand clothing, right? So living in Virginia Beach growing up, it was Billabong, Gotcha, Quicksilver, all these things. And I learned about fifth or sixth grade that if you had these clothes, you are cool. And so if I wear these clothes, you'll think of me in a certain way. That's a castle wall. Then what happens is in junior high, you realize that the best defense is often a good offense. So now you put cannons on your castle. And this is like where you learn how to cut people down. If I attack you, I'll appear strong. You won't be able to attack me. So we go on the offense in our lives. We do it with our friends, with our parents, younger brothers and sisters, older brothers and sisters, right? We learn how to be cutting with our words and you know we can be really mean. And then in high school, you realize that your castle now has walls and cannons needs a throne. Your throne is when you get good at something. So you might get good at your academically you know, advanced. You are a jock and killed it in sports. Or you're like the outsider, right? And you found your way to take a stand against everybody else, right? Because whatever you are, you're part of the skate crowd or the whatever, right? Doesn't matter. But you're right about something. This is the right way to live. And then what happens after that is, you know, you've built your ego castle and that's how you protect yourself. But at some point you realize you have a drawbridge and you get to let that down and walk out and be yourself. And that's where I'm working to get to is just finding out more and more about who I am, what I like. And that's making the biggest difference in my marriage and in my ability to be a parent is recognizing the control that this ego castle had over my life. But now that I'm aware of it, I don't have to kill the ego castle. You can't, it's there. And the ego is not all bad. It just, you have to understand how it's running your life. Mm. Wow, man. I love that. I've never heard it articulated that way, but I, every step of that I, I resonated with. And I think that it's, I mean, shout out to Dr. Kelly Flanagan. He nailed it. That's definitely a great archetype to look at for how we, how we learn to survive, how we learn to survive in life. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said about not having forgotten to ask yourself what you want. I know that that's something that I didn't do. I kind of just fell into this role of provider and protector of my family and doing the dad thing the way that I saw my dad do it. And I basically ignored asking myself that question for like a good four or five years and, and just never really took a good look at that. Like, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want? Because I often find that it's not a strategy issue. Usually at the end of the day, you can strategize anything, whatever you want to create. You can, you can come up with a plan for that. You can find the right people for it. All the information's out there. If you're not living the life that you want, it's probably because you haven't clarified what that is yet. 
and you haven't designed the life around you to create that reality. And, you know, going back to what you said a little while ago about introducing yourself as a father and a husband, but then also owning that that's what you would like it to be. And it's not quite that yet. How long ago was that? Four or five years ago, going on five years. Yeah. Cause Tiger would have been six and now he's 11. So yeah, that was powerful, man. Cause it really resonated with me. Cause that's one of the things that I say too is that honestly, none of the stuff I'm doing really means anything if I'm not being a great father and a great husband. But I can also see the truth in what you shared too, that there's there's a lot of lip service to that, that I am prioritizing the things that I do get the biggest ego boost out of. Being forefront, out and center and, and focusing up on my throne where I've established a place of performance, I guess, and coming back home and not having the patience to be a really present dad. And it's only my creation. It's all my creation. I get to really look at that. So that was great, man. Dads hide at work. You know, like that's a very real thing that we, and I do, I want to be clear about something. I've had awareness that I did it. I was unconsciously doing it. Now I, I'm consciously doing it. Meaning like I'm conscious of even when I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, this shit's getting real in my house. Like people are fighting, people are yelling. And I'm like, guys, I got to go do a podcast. And it's like, I walk into my office and I'm like, ah. you know, it's like, it's my space. I lock the door. I could do whatever I want. You and I have a great chat. But the fact is, dude, the stuff happening outside of here. And I can claim like, oh, I'm making a difference in the world and my kids will see this. And the more that I develop myself, I help my family. And there is truth in that. But like most things, just because there's truth in it, doesn't make it true all the time and in all situations. And if we, any strength becomes a weakness if you overdo it, right? And you abuse that. And so people that are like, I want to show my kids how to work hard. It's like me too. And let's not use that as an excuse of why not to go engage in the things that are really fucking hard, like being married and being a dad and leading in your family because that shit's out of control. But if I sit down and read a book on leadership and have to sit down and write values and tell my team, these are our values and like make a plan and then hire people, to, that's all easy. There are tough moments in that, but that shit's easy compared to like being married to somebody and raising amazing children and understanding the human dynamics at that level. I think that's the real work. And if a man can courageously step into that place, by the way, and if he can dominate at home, Jetty, if he can lead, and when I say dominate, I mean like, I'm not talking about this dictatorship. I'm talking about like stepping in with true power, which power comes from listening. Power comes from like relatability and compassion, that true power, that vibrational, like people can be freaking the fuck out around you. And you're so centered and so grounded. You pull everybody back into this like centered place because your energy is unshakable. That fires me up now. See, that gets me going now. And when I get it there, when I get it at home, dude, I crush it at work. Because then works like a cakewalk compared to that. And that to me has been, for me personally, and I'm not projecting on anybody else what you're doing right or wrong or whether my way is, is the right way. I'm just saying for me, that's been the truth. All of my greatest advancements at work and work is going great has been because of what I've learned about myself in my home. And I also believe, Jetty, that the future of our planet its future is being held by those families that are creating the future. Like, I don't think this is business and politics and all that. I mean, I think it's a force to be reckoned with. But dude, if we want to save the planet, if we want to, you know, maybe not see the sixth great extinction in the world, then I think this is going to be dads leading at home. 
dads consciously stepping into their role as fathers. That's it. Yes. And hell yes. I 100% agree with that. And I want to come right back to that piece because everything else you just said was brilliant, man. I I really just appreciate the authenticity you're bringing to this conversation because I know that I'm feeling it inside myself. So I know there's a lot of other guys out there in the same position that are going to feel it too. They don't hand out bronze stars at home, right? It's like you get your accolades for the things that you do out in the world. And the harder thing for me to do, being on the podcast with you, man, this is easy. I can do this all day long. That's the truth of it. The hard thing for me is to go sit on the beach for three hours and put sand from one bucket to another with my 18 month old. Like uh, it's hard. It's hard for me to do that. But when I show up there and I'm really present, I know the difference. I feel the difference. And maybe nobody's going to see that. Maybe nobody's going to say, wow, you really killed it as a dad pouring that sand out of that bucket with your daughter. But I feel it. That feeling carries through with me, like you said, into everything else that I do. So I just wanted to highlight that because it's so resonant with me. I want to also punctuate and put an exclamation point on what you said about the way that we're going to really turn things around is by strengthening families and family values and giving children the parenting and the mentorship that a lot of us didn't get. The solutions are out there, man. We've got the solutions to every problem that everybody's talking about in the political realm. We just can't get people on the same page. And the way that it's going to happen is by having stronger values and being connected to the future and not making it so much about what am I going to get to see? It's like, well, what are my kids going to have to deal with? What are my grandkids, my great grandkids that I, who I may never meet? What are they going to have to deal with? And so, I mean, that, that right there, man, is like a whole nother podcast. And I know we're like, <laughs> we're going to have to jam on that another time. Yeah, dude. But I, I just deeply resonate with that. And I love even just knowing that there's another man, another father, another husband out there in the world that has that same perspective, because that's so much of what I fight to embody in the way that I show up in the world and what I try to inspire in other men, because that's the way we're going to make a difference here. You know, let me say one also one final thing about your sand and your buckets and the beach and all that. Right. Let's talk about that for just a second, because dude, that's the practice. Why do we meditate? Well, meditation is that the art of a thousand returns, right? It's like the reps, the mental reps of saying, when I get distracted, I'm going to come back into the present moment. And meditation can be hard, dude. Meditating can be hard. It can be. And it can also be easy, right? And it can be something that we can fall into and that we can like, when we release and when we're, when we train ourselves, like this is what I have to realize is that it sucks for me to sit down and play army men with my five-year-old son, Ocean, who's now, sorry, just turned six, to play with him because first of all, it's just hard to even follow what's going on. He's constantly making up new roles. Every guy of mine dies. (laughs) I can never win. (laughs) Like it's just hysterical, right? So there's a part of me that's like, after eight minutes of that, I'm like, this is really hard, but here's what I had to realize. It doesn't make me a bad dad because I'm not like, God, other dads out there, I'm sure this is just like, they love this. They can't wait to play army men with their kids. Like I suck as a dad. I'm like, no, this is the work. This is the meditation. So now I look at boring activities with my kids as meditation. I go, this is meditation. Pouring one bucket of sand into another, that's a meditation. That rhythm, that it's a practice being present. You don't learn something and then go be present. You practice being present and you strengthen your ability to have deep connection by being present in that space. That is something that you work at. Mm. And for me, I think it's also the shift from being results oriented to being process oriented. You know, I mean, because when I'm looking at pouring sand from one bucket to another, the voice in my head is saying, what is this producing? 
what is this getting me? Where am I going? Uh, there's going to be nothing for me at the end of this. It, and of course there is, there's a result to everything, but it's more about how I'm being in that process. And my daughter getting to look at me and see her dad jamming along with her and her saying, wow, okay, dad was really here for this versus trying to get something out of it. Like I do so many other things in my life. And that's, again, that's a discipline. It's a discipline to be more process oriented than results driven. And I know that's a huge message. I know a lot of people out there in the personal development world say it's all about results. And I just beg to differ. I think it's more about how I'm being. Dude, I agree with that. It's like mandala where they put sand and they spend days and days building these beautiful sand pieces of art right on the ground. And then they just ceremoniously sweep it up to represent the impermanence of things, right? To represent that we can just enjoy the process. This isn't like, we don't have to take a picture and put it on Instagram. We don't have to like frame it and put it on the wall. Like we can build that puzzle and take it away. I think that's actually a beautiful art form for kids to learn is that when we put puzzles together and then we just take it all apart, like this was about bringing us together. This wasn't about framing the puzzle and putting it on the wall. Although if you did that, no, no hard feelings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Don't beat yourself up. Oh man, there's so many more things I want to talk about, but you know what? I think we'll just have to leave it for volume two because I want to ask you a few rapid fire questions and make sure any guy out there who wants some support of being in a network with dads and definitely want everybody to go check out your podcast. So let me hit you with the rapid fire questions. You ready? Let's go. All right. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Self-awareness. I like that. Simple. And what is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? That I'm enough. Nice. And the most important value to have as a man? Mm. Man, I love this question. I'm going to totally meditate on this one later. What's coming up for me is alignment, right? Or integrity somehow. And the way that I'm feeling into that, because I realize those words both come with definitions and everybody who hears that will hear their own word. But I do feel like this one I want to articulate a little bit on, which is that to me, what that goes back to what we already spoke about, which is knowing what you want and then being willing to ask for it to ask yourself, to ask the universe, to ask your partner, to ask your kids, what do you want? What do you care about? What does your heart tell you? Like, And maybe I would even say that part of that, if you were to reverse engineer this a little bit, goes back to one of the most important values would be listening. I think we're in a world where we're too anxious to talk, to post the epic shit you know, that's going to go viral or to say the fucking thing that everybody's going to love. I believe that my greatest joy, my greatest breakthroughs, my greatest growth comes from when I just shut the hell up and listen. My biggest connection with my wife, the biggest connection with my kids, the most understanding I have with the planet. But all that comes from a listening. My buddy, Tim, who I referenced earlier, you ask him how he's doing and he'll close his eyes and he'll put his hand on his heart. And he's practicing this right now. He'll tell you, he's like, I'm practicing answering truthfully at all times what I'm feeling. So he'll say, I'm feeling a little joy. And I'm also feeling a little sadness because of, and then he'll explain. And he answers like this really genuine, it doesn't matter where we are. And we're out like trick-or-treating and Tatiana's like, how are you? And we're in the middle of trick-or-treating and he puts his hands on his heart and he, I feel a little sadness right now. And it's like, cause the normal go-to answer is great. Everything's great. But he like really is breathing into it and answering genuinely how he feels. And we kind of joke around with him. We're like, you know, feeling, you know, joy, you know, smelling lavender, I mean, whatever it is, right? Like just busting his balls about the whole thing. But really what that goes back to and why I love it. And I've been practicing the same thing, giving people like these really genuine answers of how I'm doing is a practice of checking in. 
How are you? What's your internal condition like? Are you listening to yourself? Are you listening to the world? Are you listening to nature? Are you listening to God? Are you listening to your partner? Are you really hearing people? And are you allowing yourself to be heard? So maybe I would even change my answer to say, I think that listening, which then makes it about self-awareness. I listed like six values there. (laughs) I'm going to get back to you on this, Jetty, because I love that question, but it has something to do with listening. I think that's really what it comes down to. Well, I, I love everything that I heard, man. So uh, I'm glad that you you stretched it out and really took some time with that one. Last question, where would you like to send guys who want to know more about the work that you do, your charity, your organization, the podcast? Hit us with all the links and information so we can check you out. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Frontrowdads.com. Frontrowdads.com is the place to go for all things dad-related. And I would say start there. There's a lot of roads that you can travel down from that place. So the Front Row Dad podcast is out. We have some crazy fun shows that we dig into a lot of stuff that sometimes my wife says, I can't believe you talked about that on the podcast. <laughs> we just had a sex expert on. That was pretty cool. But yeah, go check it out. And you know, listen, if, you're, if you have kids or you're thinking about having kids, check it out. I think you'll enjoy. Yeah, man. Well, this is always one of my favorite ways to get to know somebody is just having a real honest conversation behind the mic because that's, you get to learn so much about somebody and you certainly didn't disappoint, man. I love the work that you're doing. I can't wait to learn more and connect more with what you're creating in the world. Cause like I said, man, you know, we're the ones that are going to make that change and the way that, especially dads, you know, what we're showing our sons about being men in the world and what we're teaching our daughters about the type of men that they ought to surround themselves with as they get older. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it, man. I really appreciate having you on here. Dude, you're a great host. Love what you're up to. Thanks for your contributions in the world. I appreciate it, brother. All right, y'all. I hope you got a lot out of this episode, whether you're a father or not. There's so much rich wisdom in here. I'm so grateful John got to jump in here today. Make sure you go follow him and everything he's doing with Front Row Dads. His podcast, his organization is really amazing stuff. I just want to remind all you guys to go to risingman.org slash ignite. Get yourself registered today. Coupon code trailblazer2020. It's going to be going for the next week. So make sure you get yourself in right now. We launched on the 15th. So let's do it. Check out the show notes for links and resources and subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Got some big stuff coming up this year. We'll announce it right around New Year's, so stay tuned for that. Shout out to my power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, Roy, and my man, Kyle Zagia, who has jumped on board to help us out. Appreciate all you guys, man. The team just keeps growing. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. 